This is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast, hosted by Roman Prokopchuk, bringing you all things digital marketing, tech, business, and motivation. What's stopping you from becoming relentless in all aspects of life? Are you ready to become a digital savage? Let's get into today's episode. Hey everyone, this is Roman Prokopchuk, and this is the Digital Savage Experience Podcast. Today I have with me Marion Nafal. He's a founder, CEO, investor, and entrepreneur. Thank you for joining me today. Pleasure, Roman. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being on. So tell me a little bit about your journey. How did you go about, you know, getting into founding companies? How did you get passionate about it? Where's kind of your start? Sure. Um... You know, the way I got started was, you know, I did not know anything about entrepreneurship. I was back at university doing banking and finance. And the path I had in mind is that you study, you study your ass off, you keep studying. And then once you have enough knowledge, you get a job at a bank and then you work your way up because I wanted to, to be an investment banker. And that was the vision I had. I did not know what the term entrepreneurship meant. And I was 20, I think 21 before I started my journey. And I thought, you know, I'm still too young to get to, to start making money. And I didn't have much money in the bank that was in Australia, Melbourne. And then I heard a story about a boy, his name is Farrah Gray. F, I think it's F-A-R-R-A-H, Gray, G-R-A-Y. He made his first million dollars at 14 years old. And that got my, my whole mindset changed when I um, heard his story, that I'm actually not young <laughs> to make money. I'm actually pretty old at 2021. And I immediately dropped out of university. Second year was doing well, just dropped out. And uh, got a job door knocking. I started knocking on doors from morning till night, nonstop. And then after that, I did cold calling. And I did okay. You know, for my first week starting out, I was making, um, um, I don't think I hit six, oh, you say six figures run rate. So five figures a month. And so I was doing okay. A few thousand dollars a week, Australian dollars, which is still a few thousand dollars US. Um, but obviously, I was working for my money and not the other way around. I didn't have a business. But immediately when I started Business Roman, I, was, I had the mentality of following the opportunity. And that's normal for entrepreneurs. I would try many different things. You can call it shiny object syndrome. I, I kind of had that. But I was at least I was wise enough. And I wasn't wise back then. But I'm lucky to have at least had the instinct, instinct of doubling down on what works. And that's probably the most important thing in entrepreneurship. When you're trying anything, your audience will probably have a lot of entrepreneurs. When they're starting business, they don't know where to start. Try as many things as you can, like I did. I was door knocking, selling water filters, coffee machines, TV ad spots. Yeah, go figure. Sometimes in the same day, LED lights, I never sold one. But water filters, I sold thousands worth. So I tried everything. And blenders is the one that clicked. And then I tried selling it on eBay. It clicked. I heard that chiching sound on my phone in the movies the first time. And then I started doubling down because it's working. And when something works, you start doubling down more and more. And that's the concept of entrepreneurship. You throw pebbles, you try different things. And then when a pebble hits, and that's the example Jim Collins uses in his book, Good to Great, a great book. He throws pebbles. An entrepreneur will try different things. When one hits, something works. Someone pays you for your product, for your service you double down. And I kept doubling down, made seven figures in my first year at 21 or 22, and then eight figures by my second year. So that's my first 
real business um, and then kept expanding from there until this day today right now I'm launching new businesses I've got them on the whiteboard here in the apartment in front of me and um, they're all pebbles being thrown and I started recording it as of last a few months ago so uh, late last year November December 2018 I started um, recording my process of launching one of my businesses in six months it's already at six figures run rate and uh, by the end of the year I'm, I'm certain it'll be seven figures and I'm recording the process and if you watch me go through the same process I did six years ago just uh, I'm in a much better position now financially but also uh, my knowledge has improved drastically so that's my journey um, it's actually been a lot of things being tested a lot of things failing and then the ones that work I double down like crazy and it's worked time and time again. No, that's awesome. And I'm sure there's been situations where you felt like quitting in general. What helped you overcome or stay focused? Situation? I've never, funny enough, I know a lot of people would give you an example of when they felt like quitting. I've recently had examples where I would just turn to my partner or someone, my brother who's very close to me and just say, man, I'm, I'm tired. Actually, I'm not saying it to my brother because he's more tired than me. He works with me. Um, but I went with one of my general managers. I'd say, man, I'm, I'm just tired. And that was in the last two years because there's just so many issues that happened. I, I was scammed last year by people very close to me. One of my companies was almost bankrupted. Um, one of my other companies went through a, um, a pretty hard time. It's one of our suppliers breached their agreement and had a patent. So a lot of issues that were unexpected, just drove me and, and everyone to the ground. One thing after the other going wrong. And the way I dealt through this is I never thought to quit because it's just, it wasn't an option. Like, quit, what do you mean quit? Quit doing what I love? It doesn't make sense. Like, it's just not an option. Can't envisage, it, it, imagine myself quitting. But for anyone that's going through a phase like this, the best way to look at it is um, I have a stoic mindset. That's what I do at least. And there's one book I read time and time again, very short book, whenever I'm going through a really tough period, is The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Because what it does, it gives you, it puts you in the right mindset to realize that, hey, it's actually not as bad as you think. And that's, that's a cognitive bias. People always over-exaggerate everything. So in terms of emotions, when emotions kick in. So when it feels like the world is coming to an end, just remember it probably isn't. And I've always said that to myself time and time again. And also at the same time, when something seems too good to be true, it probably is. And you've probably heard this before. But so anyone that feels like they're quitting, why do you want to quit? Just ask yourself, what, what do you mean quit? So I don't, I can't relate to anyone that says I want to quit and go back to an employment job. Everyone's in a different situation. I'm talking from a position, Roman, where I've always been an entrepreneur. I've never been employed, maybe a bit being a waiter or KFC back during uni for a bit. But I've never had real employment, full-time employment. Um, and I've always been like this. I don't have a family. I, I do support a lot of people, but I don't have a family uh, of mine. So I cannot relate with a person that has a wife, has kids, and had an employment, was employed before starting their job. Um, so giving advice to them would be difficult, but I can give advice on being in the right mindset. And that's where the having the stoic mindset, re mindset reading the obstacles, the way or similar books, get you in a more objective way of looking at the situation. Because to decide on whether to quit or not, it has to be an objective decision. Not, not based on your emotions, like you've just had enough, you're tired. No, that's, if that's why you're quitting, not a good decision. But if you look at everything objectively, 
I said, look, maybe I need to go work part-time while trying to get my business improved. Maybe you do. There's nothing wrong with uh, hedging your risk and having employment on the side if you've got other responsibilities. Not something I would do, but look at it objectively. Be in the right mindset before you make such a decision. I hope that answers the question, Roman. But I just don't want to give advice pretending I know the answer. Um, and then if someone has a family and you know his income's dried up and he's got an opportunity to make $500, $1,000, $2,000 a week employed while still being able to work part-time on their, on their business, it works for some. Some of the most successful businesses, what's that one? The one that sells glasses? Warby Parker was built that way. They didn't quit their job until they had not only a proof of concept, but an incredible revenue, more than a proof of concept. And there's many examples like this where entrepreneurs hedge their risk. So employment is not bad, but it's what you do with these, the rest of the hours that you have in the day. I was talking to an entrepreneur today. He said to me, I was speaking to him last week, Roman, and um, six days ago, and he, he was working. And he said, Murray, I'm going to quit my job. I focus on this. I'm barely making any money. I'm like, all right. And I gave him some tips on how to build connections, network on social media, uh, build relationships before selling his product, leggings for women. And then he came to me today and he said, Mario, look, you know, I don't know what to do. I talked to my employer. He can give me 30 hours plus I've got that other job, which is, you know, I do about 40 hours a week. I'm like, all right, so weekdays, how much time do you have? He's like, I don't have much time. I go home 10 p.m. I have to wake up 7 a.m. I'm like, all right, you can rest. That, that, that time you can rest. Throughout the day, he's like, I only have two hours between one job and the other. I'm like, all right, that's two hours a day, five days a week. That's 10 hours. Plus, you got the weekend. Work another 10 hours each weekend. That's 30 hours you've got with your job full time. You still got 30 hours to work on your business. But that means no, he was telling me this on his day off. He was having a picnic with his wife. I'm like, that means no picnics, no Netflix, but those 30 hours that you have left, work on your business. You got a kid, you got a wife, you got to support them. Keep your job. But make be productive with the with those thirty hours that you have left. Um, so that's one way of looking at it. Um, it doesn't have to be binary. Either quit your job and go down the entrepreneurship path, or no entrepreneurship and just have a job. You have both, and there's many successful people that have. I'm not one of them. I just I went down through down the entrepreneurship path from the beginning. No, that's awesome. And I think that advice is situational. It's what's best for your situation and your family or where you're at in life. And just because you do it one way doesn't mean you're going to be less or more successful. Exactly. And I, I just don't like giving advice where, you know, there's those people, um, they get, you know, I think they get a bit cocky or they just feel like they know the answer or because they've had success, they feel like they know the answer to everything. Well, it doesn't work that way. You don't know like how how much did luck have a role to play in you. I, I didn't start talking Roman on podcasts. I didn't start doing podcasts. I didn't have LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram till last year, late last year when I was camp. I knew the importance of personal branding. Why? Because I just didn't feel like I was in the right position. My first business got to seven figures in year one, eight figures in year two, which is a hell of an achievement. But I still said, you know, I need more knowledge, more experience before I have the audacity to start giving people advice or or talking about my story. And then I, I replicated the story time and time again. I've had three, and this is my fourth seven-figure business I'm building. So seven-figure and then hopefully eight after that. Eight, maybe nine. I haven't had a nine-figure business yet. But um, I've done this time and time again, Roman, before I start telling people this is maybe something you should do. And to this day, even with, with that success that I've replicated from nothing bootstrap time and time again, I still don't pretend to know the answer for everything. Because it is situational. What, what works in one industry, what works for one person at a certain time 
timing is really important, will not work for someone else. A lot of the um, recent uh, unicorn businesses or, or successful companies leveraged influencer marketing and Instagram. Does that mean it still works the same way it did before or is it something else now? Uh, uh, before that, it was AdWords. A lot of successful businesses were built on AdWords. But telling other people AdWords is the way because you built your business purely on AdWords 10 years ago or wholesale retail 20 years ago, it, it doesn't work. It, it's always different. Different time, different circumstances, and different people around you. No, I agree. And circumstances and variables are different. And sometimes things al align, like you said, like luck. You you may have even be in an uh, elevator with someone and that opens up a door. It's just some of these things happen in terms of just a fluke and others, you know, take time to build. A lot of people give general advice, like you said, but I mean, it's it's more important, I think, to, to be genuine, speak about your own experiences, what you've achieved and basically have somebody take something from that. Exactly, exactly. I think you can talk about your experience, that's what worked for me, and what will work for you could be something completely different. I'd like to talk about two things. I like to talk about what worked for me, and I also like to talk, talk about what I've learned for others. I'm learning every day, I listen to podcasts like yours every single day, and I still read books every day, and I'm, I'm obsessed with learning. Why? Because I know what, what, there's always something else I can learn from someone else doesn't mean I listen to one person, never listen to one person unless they're extremely self-aware and extremely open-minded that they can give you advice not based on their own anecdotal experience, they can give you general advice. Th those are the people I would love to listen to, but someone who tells you, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do that, I'm not going to name people, but those people you should avoid. There's going to be a lot of successful stories that are similar to this, but many people might have done exactly the same thing and failed following the same strategies. How do you know how many succeeded, how many failed? Just keep that in mind. One thing you can do as an entrepreneur is listen to as many people as you can and then find the similarities between them. So at the moment, a lot of successful businesses, and I've got a list of them, I always like to see what they're doing. One thing I'm seeing that's in common between all of them is an obsession over customers because it's getting very, very expensive to acquire customers, not like before, and it's going to get even more expensive. So obsessing over the customer and working on the lifetime value of the customer, I think is what will separate successful versus unsuccessful businesses. And that's what we're focusing on now in my e-commerce businesses. Because let's say one of my businesses sells blenders and juices, which it does, and it does that in, in over 30 countries, high-end blenders and juices. If that's all we sell, and that's where we make our margin, um, that means every paid ad that we have, we have to make a certain margin to be able to succeed as a business. If we break even or there's zero profit or even a loss, we don't have anything else to sell to those customers. They buy one blender, it lasts them a lifetime and we have a juicer and that's it. A, a business that does exactly the same thing as us, but also has another website that sells health products, you know, organic products or any auxiliary products to the blenders and juices. They would do better, why? Because they've got other products they can sell uh, along with the blender. If someone buys a blender, that business could break even on that sale. And that's us now, we're doing that now. We can break even on the sale, why? Because that customer that's in our database now that has a relationship with us, that trusts us, we can sell them other food products, we can sell them other appliances, we can sell them our aromatherapy Zen's product, which is doing really well. So it's leveraging those customer relationships and our obsession over customers in the last six to 12 months has really paid off. So that's, that, for example, is one thing that many successful businesses are talking about 
it's part of their success story then you could learn that because a lot of them uh, have something in common so that's one way i learned from other businesses and entrepreneurs trying to find the things in common um it, it's the same thing with everything really like if you're if you want to follow a certain diet there's dozens of them out there what you can do and i remember someone said telling me this a few years ago he said now, if you listen, watch all the diets, you can see some things that are in common. I'll give you an obvious one. Most, if not all of them, say vegetables are good or drinking water is good. I think you can make a conclusion there that vegetables are a good thing because most diets agree on that, um, on that point. So it's the same thing with, with entrepreneurship. Listening to many people and businesses, successful businesses, and trying to find the things they have in common. And then you talked about luck as well, um, Roman. Luck... <laughs> plays an incredible role. Now, anyone listening to this podcast is not deaf. You're lucky. There you go. It's an obvious example. But what you can do as an entrepreneur is keep your eyes out without having shiny object syndrome and try to find those opportunities. So when you find an opportunity, leverage it, capitalize on it, don't ignore it. And that's where execution comes in. So when luck comes, it's the people that execute based on that opportunity that will get an ROI on that luck. And the harder you work, the smarter you work. So it's not about working hard, but working smart, doing the right thing. The more ROI, the, the higher the return you'll get on the luck that comes across your way. I agree. And you said finding kind of things in common. I think it's all about finding patterns and things that will come. So if you know something is trending and you want to build a business around it, it's important to understand what's happened and what's in common in terms of some of these companies. And it's important for things that work and things that don't work. So, you know, if universally an industry you want to get into all the the people that are players in that industry did a certain thing and it didn't work, it can help you avoid, you know, pitfalls as well. Exactly. Uh, learning from, there's a lot of things that you could learn that learning from other businesses failures is really important. Like Warren Buffett says, you know, I learned from, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but I learned from my mistakes, of course, everyone should, but why learn from my mistakes when I can learn from others' mistakes? So I try to learn um, from other companies, what they did, what that, what didn't work. So I don't make that mistake myself, um, myself now as well so finding patterns of success but also patterns of uh, uh, of failure and pattern recognition is a, is a very underrated skill to have and to build so if you've got that skill it will definitely pay off how important do you think for a entrepreneur a founder an investor is emotional intelligence wow man good question i don't get asked that a lot uh, it's something that i've obsessed over it's so important though, actually it's something i've obsessed over a while ago like really obsessed over it and I've constructed the personality I have today and that was one of the things I really worked on. It's entrepreneurship is hard. It's very difficult to find people that succeeded without going through hell and back. So entrepreneurship is really tough and if you don't have emotional intelligence, it will, being able to deal with the pressure, it, it's gonna drown you. And that's in terms of, of your own emotions, but also emotional intelligence in terms of managing your team knowing when to there's a book called multipliers i think that's what it's called and the book talks about the best way to manage people and they've studied a lot of successful managers and ceos and what they found is the strategy i've been doing and i've had to optimize it based on the book afterwards but i was doing before that and i was happy to hear it in the book a few years ago is um stretching people stretching people to a certain level so working them hard pushing them you can do better expecting more asking them to deliver the result 
as much as you can. And then when they reach that point where they're going to break, take two steps back and praise the hell out of them. And then they go back a bit relaxed and then push them again. And then they'll go past that line to a new line. So that's the strategy that Multipliers talks about. I think the book's called Multipliers. I could be wrong. And that's a strategy I like to use. Now, it doesn't work for everyone. And many people will quit. Not many, but some people will quit. If you didn't hire properly, more people will quit. So hiring is key there. And making sure you get the people that can deal with that. Uh, and then making sure that the senior people that work by your side, that's what I do, they're able to be pushed further and further. And having emotional intelligence on how to approach them, how to deal with them when they're at breaking point, or they take things emotionally, how to drive them during tough times. It, it all is it, just so important. For me, I've, I've, it's helped me tremendously connecting to people that I've managed. Even at a young age, I was managing people three times my age when I started my business. Um, talking to clients, talking to clients for, you know, deals at six or seven figure contracts to be signed at my consulting business, IBC. All of it benefits tremendously from having emotional intelligence. So it's something that I truly value in business and in personal life. I think managing your emotions will get you ahead in life tremendously. Yeah, and I think it's key for a leader, anyone in a leadership role, because they're the ones all of those pressures fall on in terms of decision-making that could benefit or shut down a company. So having a level head and thinking clearly is very important in terms of decision-making. So it's not a loaded decision that's uh, fueled by emotion. It's, yeah, absolutely. And um, I was asked by my manager once, and my general manager in um, in my company, Fruity, and he, he says, Mario, you know, despite everything, last year was so bad, Roman, like if I tell you everything that went wrong last year, <laughs> he'd ask me how I didn't break down. But he asked me, how do you wake up every day and you still got that same energy? I never thought of it. I never, actually, when he pointed it out, I realized that it's true. And then I, I started thinking, how did I get to this stage? And it took a lot of construction. Like I've got an emotional mother, my father is emotional, but that I got to, to construct a way to be able to deal with emotions in a really effective way. And it's worked out really well. And there are times where I can't sleep for four or five hours. And recently, the latest issues we've had, and my brother, who's also the CEO, he couldn't, he, he's a very calm person, Roman. He couldn't sleep for days. He would be breaking down if he had panic attacks at night. Francois, the general manager, he last week he woke up freaking out about some agreement he, he worried that we breached it just uh, made up stuff in his mind in his dream and now they're starting my brother had that panic attack last year and they started to build that emotional intelligence around it and i think it makes you tougher and now that i think about it so i wasn't that great earlier and i would something would go wrong i feel the world is coming to an end despite my emotional intelligence but entrepreneurship will build up that emotional intelligence as well plus of course learning as much as you can that's where stoicism really helps um but it's it it, it really helped a lot uh, in those tough times because the emotions as an entrepreneur are tough they are tough and no matter how successful you get if anything the most successful you get potentially depends on how much money you save or how much responsibilities you have or how empathetic you are but potentially like elon musk his story i was listening to it again yesterday for some reason and you probably know a story back in 08 where he almost went bust uh, before Christmas in 2008. And it was, he was days away from both of his companies going under, SpaceX and Tesla. The emotional toll it took on him is insane. And look, he, he was making more money than I'll probably ever make back in 2008. So yeah, build that emotional intelligence if you want to be a successful entrepreneur. 
businesses and people quit things for a certain reason, but a lot of the times, you know, these industry leading companies, best in class, or just the ones that outlasted and dealt with everything and everything that came at them. Mm, That's a good point. Like when to quit or when to pivot, because there's two ways of looking at it. There's the businesses that you probably don't hear in the news about. They're the ones that completely persevere, that continue persevering until they go bust. They stick to their way of doing business. They're like, hey, we got to be patient. Everyone's following these hypes, etc. You know, keep doing what we're doing. It's going through tough times and they had to close their doors. While others like Amazon, they kept focusing on what they're doing and they succeeded. Um, it's difficult. You know, I, I would love to see studies on perseverance versus pivots. I'm sure there are some studies and I think I read one many years ago. I just can't remember the details. But it's a tricky thing. Like it's, it's more of an art rather than a science. I... I I'm a risk-averse entrepreneur, and not many people know that about me. They think I love taking risks. I hate it. So when to pivot? I pivot when when to persevere. Let's go back to that because that's what you're talking about. Look, I'll give you an example. One of my companies, IBC, is in the blockchain space. So you probably know crypto, and as soon as you hear crypto, if you don't know the space, you probably think of Bitcoin. Um, so if you look into it further, it's a technology, not just a crypto, not just a speculation. There's a lot of benefits with it. And you come from Ukraine, and Ukraine has got tremendous talent getting into the blockchain development space. So uh, there was a lot of hype back in 2017. And IBC, I built it to a seven-figure business in six months. So bootstrapped. And that was, you know, that was one of the three businesses that I've built to the millions, um, bootstrapped. And so it did really well. And then I, was, I knew the hype would not last. And I knew the importance of timing. And that was the same time where I was scammed as well. So I got hit by a scam and the industry went to shit at the same time. Now, industry going to shit, I expected it and I was prepared for it. The scam, I was not, and that tremendously hurt me in the business and lost us a lot of money. But we pulled through now, so now we're good, obviously. But when back in 2018, throughout the bear market, when things just completely dried up, there were two types of businesses. Or we could say even three. Um, the third one, but I'll tell you about the first two that when that did not do well. The first one are the ones that kept scaling, saying, "Hey, you know, everyone's is cutting their expenses. Let's keep scaling, scaling, scaling." And some entrepreneurs talk about this. I think Grant Cardone once I've heard him say about it. I don't listen to a lot of his work, but I'm, I think he's one of the people that says, "You know, when everyone's," and Neil Patel talks about it. You should scale when everyone's cutting costs. That's risky because how do you know how long the bear market is going to last? How do you know that you'll be surviving? How much cash flow do you have? So that's risky. I did not do that. I did not continue scaling. I thought about it. Like, let me scale and let me take market share. We're already the leader in what we do. So I did not scale. Other businesses just completely shut down. Say, hey, you know, advantage of the hype. It's done now. Let's move on to the next thing. I didn't do that. I balanced it. It doesn't have to be one or the other. I didn't scale. I moved my resources to other companies. Other resources I let go of. Um, A lot of them were contractors without being you know, operating at a loss like other companies. And then when the market started picking up again uh, a few months ago, we're still leaders and we're in a perfect position to bring back resources, mainly from our other companies back into IBC and taking advantage of it. So it's a balance between pivoting. So I pivoted my attention to my other businesses because IBC was going through a bear market. There isn't much demand, but at the same time, I persevered throughout that period but in a very calculated way. So that's one way of, of knowing when to persevere and doing it right in a strategic way um, that worked for me. 
Yeah, I think that's also situational. A lot of things are situational. And mm-hmm. like I said, there's a lot of generalists out there trying to sell courses, masterminds, how I built this company. And you can't, I mean, it's very rare that you can replicate those exact scenarios. It's not, you know, you're not doing it in a lab and replicating every variable. So I think it's important, regardless of what your company is, if you're able to pivot, if something's not working, if you're able to recalibrate your efforts and resources into something else or shuffle it into, you know, another business effort or endeavor or just quit altogether. That's situational as well. Exactly. And then anyone listening to this saying, all right, guys, you know, Mario, what the hell do I do? Everything situation. What about my situation? Well, look at your situation. Man, I'm really bad with names. Uh, Jay Abraham, very smart marketer, very, very smart, been around for a long time. And I like listening to his work. And he talks about how he's learned one of his strengths and what got him to where he is and uh, pay, charging so much as, a, as an advisor like he charges true incredible amounts of money which is crazy and and the reason he does that is because he's he, he learned he's worked in so many industries over the decades that he learned so many things and what he does is he gets something that worked in one industry and then tries it in a completely different industry so that goes back to the situation situational but strategies that work in one area they could work in another another area um so you can learn from other industries you can learn from success stories of other businesses but to see if it works test it so i look at all these successful strategies i choose the ones that i think would work best that i've heard many times over um whether it's a software i want to try or some new marketing strategy or you know the subscription box hype and then that is like one of many examples um, and then test it. See how the market responds. Does it apply to your business? Use logic. Use your, I don't call it intuition because, because I, I like to be more calculated than that. And then see other businesses in your industry as well. Like what made them successful? What are they doing right? What are they doing wrong? Is it worth replicating and doing better? Or is it worth taking, looking at doing another strategy that could, you know, finding their Achilles heel. I'm thinking about one competitor, one of my competitors they sell purely in Australia. What they do is they sell purely through home demonstrations, you know, the Tupperware model or those um, multi-level marketing companies where you have to go to a house to demonstrate the product. That's the only way they sell it in Australia. That's it. In the US, they sell it on Amazon. The company is called Thermomix. It's a cooking machine that's worth $2,000, massively popular in Australia and Europe. And it's a really good quality product made in Germany. Really high quality and they've done incredibly well. I said, all right, they're doing really well, but they do home demonstration. If I use the same strategy as them, they've got a much bigger budget. They've been doing it for a much longer period of time. If I play their own game, their strength, is that the best way of doing it? Or should I find their weakness and capitalize, leverage that? So what I did, I'm like, all right, they'll do home deliveries. I'm sure a lot of people don't want, if I want to buy a machine, I don't have time to sit there talking to someone that wants to demonstrate it for me. I want to get something that's so simple to use, I don't even need a demonstration because I don't have time for it. Um, And then my partner could use it. If she wants to cook, I don't cook. So I'm like, all right, that's their weakness. That's their strength. But at the same time, I could leverage it as a weakness, say, you know, don't waste your time with a home demonstration. And ours is so simple, buy it online. You don't even need a demonstration. It's so easy to use a one-page manual. So I've taken advantage of their home demonstration as their strength, apparently, quote unquote, as a strength, said, all right, let's see how we can make that into a weakness. And then I, I started selling online and make it a, a simpler product, even though I had less functionality. 
I said, you know, I'd focus on the percentage of people, the 80-20 rule. 80% of the functions in that kitchen appliance that would apply, so 20% of the functions that would apply to 80% of the consumers. So I focused on the main functions, kept it simple, no need for a demonstration, buy it online, you're done, money back guarantee. So um, that's looking at competitors and instead of just replicating what they do, look at you know, trying to be smarter and, and um, uh, find their weaknesses. No, that's great. And you touched upon the, the marketing example. It's funny because I do the same thing in marketing. I've worked in a lot of industries and I take what works and basically try to apply it to an industry that may not be trying it to have kind of that sweet spot. So industries mm. like fitness, things that worked, I've applied to pharma and biotech and life sciences and then, you know, e-commerce and other industries as well. So it's funny. Yeah, exactly. Like with that home demonstrations, I'm like, Maybe there's something there though. Let me look into it and see if I can sell another product through home demonstrations. Now, I'm not doing that because I think it's an outdated model and I'm surprised it worked for them. Um, but let me see if I can do something else through uh, using that same strategy. It, it does work and it's, um, it's not easy to do though, but it's, I think actually it's not hard to do either because when you listen to podcasts, it's very hard for me to find another person on a podcast that sells blenders and juices, for example. I've got many other companies, but I'm using that as an example. So I'm, if you think about it, you're always learning from other, um, from other industries. But try to look at industries that you might have never thought of as well. That's what Jay Abraham says. And I've, I probably need to do more of that. Like look at the um, – um, <laughs> I'm looking at a petrol station now from my apartment on the freeway. And um, you know, it could be a, a, a petrol station or oil – what do you call it in the States? Oil station, petrol station? Gas station, gas yeah, station. Yeah, gas station. Yeah, I've been traveling for too long. I keep forgetting the terminology. So uh, a gas station, look at that industry. Maybe you find something interesting that they do. So yeah, and look at other countries as well. Something else that Red Bull is a common example of that. They got the idea of the, the drink from, I think it was Thailand or some, the, the, the people were in somewhere in Europe, Northern Europe, I think. They got the idea from Thailand. So you can find strategies in countries like Japan, Korea, China, that are way ahead of the US, or, or I, I look at the US as my main market, US, Australia, Western Europe. Um, in many ways, they're far ahead, especially Japan and Korea. So you can look there and I, when I have time, when I want to scale or look at new product ideas, I look at those markets, they're incredible. Yeah, it's a great strategy to have because obviously it's a global economy. And like you said, there's far advanced economies and technology and products than the United States, even though the United States is you know, a technolo technologically advanced um, economy, there's still things that you can take and apply to the U.S. market. Absolutely, absolutely. Like, a for example, um, you know, we talked about blockchain earlier. Blockchain is um, uh, the, the, if you start paying using that technology, you don't need a credit card anymore. But if you go to China, <laughs> there's places that don't even accept a credit card, let alone not cash. Of course, not cash. But credit cards not even accepted. Everything is through the phone. Um, you know, WhatsApp is learning from WeChat in China. So China is, is really ahead of the rest of the world in some areas, other areas are still catching up. But Korea and Japan are incredible. And funny enough, just today, I've been to Korea and Japan a few times, but just today I was talking to, um, to my team about scaling one of my businesses into Japan and Korea. I made the decision today, I sent them a voice note a few hours ago. Um, so that's my first, my first venture into those countries didn't work out too well. So I'm going to try again, my second uh, try. And the reason I decided to do that is I looked at another competitor that I learned from <laughs> that, that have just announced they're launching in Japan. I'm like, you know what? Why haven't I thought of that? 
my product is like this, very small, inexpensive in terms of FOB, so uh, the price from the factory, first in the world to launch it. So let's get into Japan and Korea. It should be easy to ship. Let's not worry about making a profit. I'll ship it out of my warehouse in, in, in Australia or, or in China or in Taiwan. Um, probably shipping is going to be high, but I don't care even if I make a loss. Let me test it in the market. Use Shopify, translate the website very quickly. Have a CS person, customer service person, that you know, translator that we've used before when I tried to enter the country and failed. And um, it could work out. And I'll let you know if it does. I'll just ping you. But um, last time it failed because it was a, a more expensive product, like a $300, $400 product, the blenders and juices, or many years ago. And it needed a lot more marketing. Um, convincing for people to spend that much on a product. My, the current one is a recurring purchase product, no competitors, and um, very inexpensive. So it should be easier to convince customers to, to buy it. Oh, that's awesome. So what's one thing you can leave with the audience in terms of advice, personal or professional? Uh, we've talked about one important point. It's just be careful who you learn from. Um, it's learning in business and in, in life, Try to learn from people that are not only self-aware, not, they don't say they're self-aware, but that you actually see them practicing that self-awareness. They see their flaws and their strengths, but also very um, objective about things. You know, they don't pretend they know the answer to everything. They don't think their way is the right way. Um, and I hope I always stay that way. I, I, I always remind myself, I've got a reminder on my Asana project management tool that says, Mario, you know, um, I can't remember what it says, but you, you're, not, you're not as smart as you think you are. Just always remember that. Um, so always learn from others. One of my reminders that I have. And another reminder that I have I wanted to mention earlier is always question things. So we were talking about before questioning different things. Is that the way to do it? That's one of the reminders I have. So without digressing, just be careful who you listen to. But another point that I want to mention that I think not many people mention in business is timing. Bill Gross, I keep talking about this. Bill Gross has a TED speech, Gross, G-R-O-S-S, has a TED speech about um, the most important thing for a business success. Where there's the ID, the funding, the business plan, the team, and timing. Most important factor based on his research was timing. If you launch YouTube in 1995, it's not going to succeed. He tried it in 1990-something. He tried it because the internet was too slow. But YouTube started as a dating app but it was at the right time. There was demand for a video hosting company and people, they saw that demand, um, video streaming business, and, and they capitalized on it because they were there at the right time. So make sure when you're launching a business, uh, it's a whole art. I talk a lot about it in the new launchpad that I'm doing where I'm trained businesses and entrepreneurs to find the right timing, but I talk a lot about it in my videos because I just think it's so valuable and it's the way I launch all my businesses. If you look at my companies, they're all listed on my website. If you look at my companies, all of them took advantage of either a trend, short or long term, mainly long term, and, and launched at the right time. How do you know it's the right time? You can use Google Trends, SEM Rush, but do the pebbles approach. After you see a trend, test it, throw a few pebbles. Does it one hit, two hit, double down like crazy. No, I agree. Well, I really appreciate you jumping on today and having this conversation. Can you let the audience know how they can find you? Uh, just on my website, marionofull.com. Nofull is N for Nelly, A for Alpha, W for Whiskey, uh, F for Fred, A for Alpha, L for Larry. Marionofull.com, you'll see all the videos and stuff that I have. Awesome. Thanks again for stopping by. My pleasure, Roman. This podcast.
podcast has been brought to you by Nova Zora Digital. Find out how Nova Zora Digital can help your company grow online. Learn more at NovaZoraDigital.com. Until next time, all you digital savages.